Welcome to the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast with your hosts, Matthew Betts and Matt Okada. What is up, Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast listeners? Matthew Betts, not Matt Okada. I am joined, as always, by John Helmkamp tonight. Unfortunately, Okada is not with us, and we are still working on that intro, John, so we're going to get there uh, soon, hopefully. <laughs> we keep saying that, but Eventually. we'll be like okay. 600 more episodes in, and before you know it, we'll finally get you in there, but uh, hopefully sooner than good. later. Um, John, how's it going tonight, man? It is going good. It is officially combine season, and... Hand sizes and 40 times and underwear Olympics. It's it is good. officially hand size season. Um, which, is. speaking of, did you see Joe Burrow's tweet about retiring? Yes, that was hilarious. Just roasting Amazing. Um, yeah, and then he addressed it today at the podium also, talking about how he put that tweet out there going, well, I never really fumbled, so yeah. probably not going to be a problem. Hand size measurements is the most ridiculous thing ever. Like, I don't understand how anyone... So puts funny. any stock into that and gets worried about it. Yeah, n- no, not important. We are going to talk about. I wish that they did. Go it. ahead. I wish they did it in the NBA. Actually, I think that that would be hilarious yeah. for them to do hand size measurements for incoming rookies. Yeah. That would be. That'd be yeah, we fun. are going to talk some combine tonight. We're going to talk about the more important things when it comes to the NFL combine, and we'll get there. We're going to specifically focus tonight a lot on the running back position. John, this is your this is your thing, man. You're the running back guy here on the pod. Um, <sighs> You know, we're going to talk about your rankings. We have officially on the website, redshirtsfantasyfootball.com. We have John's top 10 rookie running backs in this class pre-NFL draft, uh, of course, subject to change. But we will get into that in more detail. We will also talk uh, about what the 40 at the NFL Combine really mat Like, what does it mean? How Does it matter or does it not matter? Um, you know, and how much weight should we be putting on that when we look at running back prospects and what it means for fantasy football. And I spent some time digging into that research this past weekend. It was fun to research, fun to look at, and we're going to get into that more here uh, tonight. But John, before we do, just going to start us off tonight with a little bit of news and notes. And before we get into those news and notes, just a reminder, you can find us live right now on Periscope and on Twitter at Pod. We are also live on YouTube, uh, where you can find our video replays available afterwards. We will also have some scouting reports uh, up on there, probably injury reports in season, uh, etc. At Retreats FF Pod is the place for all that. All right, everyone, let's get into the news. First thing on the news doc tonight, we are talking about a a bit of a situation that I feel like I don't necessarily believe I you know I believe in is that Adam Schefter is expecting the Titans to quote be in the mix for impending free agent Tom Brady. Now, I wish Okada was here to talk about this because, of course, the Patriots yeah. are his team. But, John, do you put any stock into this? Do you buy it? Is this baloney? Where are you at on this? Here's here's the deal. I think that there are roughly a third of the teams in the NFL that would love to have the greatest quarterback of all time uh, on their team for the next two seasons. Um, I don't see any way that he's not in New England. Um, I mean, if, if they're in the mix and, and they're willing to come out and, and give him an offer similar to what we're hearing, you know, around the 30 mil per year for two years sort of situation, which kind of seems to be the, the average that we're hearing, um, we've already heard that the Patriots are willing to give him the same thing. So I, I don't think that he's going to leave the Patriots 
if the Patriots are are pretty much just going to match whatever he's getting offered on the open market. It, it would have to be an astronomical difference, I think, to pull him away from, from New England. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And uh, I hope that is the case because I am someone who does a little bit of sports betting, a little bit of sports wagering, and I put a wager on Tom Brady to be back in New England uh, recently. So I hope that that hits. And obviously, if it doesn't, I'll be go. very upset. Um, but yeah, I agree with you, man. I, I don't know how he's not there, yeah. how he doesn't finish his career there. Uh, I think he stays in New England. We'll talk more about that news when it actually breaks and when it actually happens. Right. So we'll talk more about free agency here in the coming weeks. Next piece of news here on the dock is that the Falcons are planning to let tight end Austin Hooper, quote, hit the market, end quote. Um, I think that, the, you know, the report I was reading basically was saying that they want to see what he's going to get in the open market, and then they'll be able to adjust their offer accordingly. So I don't know that he's gone necessarily from Atlanta, but certainly there's a good chance if he's letting, you know, if other teams are are interested in him and are trying to put an offer together to get him on their squad. Uh, What are your thoughts on Austin Hooper as a prospect or or as a, a player, I should say? And if he's not in Atlanta where we've seen him have success, does that hurt his fantasy football value? Yeah, um, as a prospect, I mean, he had a massive breakout year this last season, um, was putting up huge numbers in that offense, um, which is really helped by being spaced out by Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, that really opens up the passing attack. Um, obviously, uh, running back is something that Atlanta is going to have to address this year, but their passing game, there's so much experience and chemistry between Julio Jones, Matt Ryan, and even Austin Hooper over the last few years, and oncoming Calvin Ridley, um, that that passing game really kind of clicks. So he does a good job there. Now, what's interesting is that um, they are projected, Atlanta is projected to be over the cap uh, this coming year. And they have a lot of of holes, a lot of things that they need to address um, on that team. So if if they're going to let him go out and test it, and you've got to, you know, team that thinks that they're one piece away. Um, I I don't know. I don't know that they're going to open the purse um, and and pay the same that that he might get from another team. They've they've got a lot of work to do and not a lot of money to do it. Yeah, for sure. And you know, they they need to win. Um, they need to win now with Matt Ryan certainly yeah. in the tail end of of you know his prime. I would say, and obviously Julio mm-hmm. um, is probably on the tail end of his prime. Has a few more years left of that. They need to win now, and if they need to pay up at other positions to do that, I think they will. And obviously, you know, that leaves a lot of question marks with a guy like Austin Hooper. Obviously, we've only seen him in Atlanta, so it could certainly be um, it could be a questionable situation for Austin Hooper. Very interested to see what happens there as far as what he commands in the open market, because I think Hunter Henry will probably get a similar type of value in free agency. So I think those two will kind of dictate what the other one gets as far as an offer. But like I said, we will talk more free agency here in the future. Two players that have signed, however, because um, free agency hasn't started yet, but this one player was not on an NFL roster last year, so he's allowed to sign. And John, we can spend as much or as little time as you want on this piece of news. Josh Dotson signs with the New York Jets. Uh, Do we care? No. (laughs) Yeah, we we can keep it short (laughs) and sweet. I, I don't. Um, I don't. He's never shown anything. Adam Gase is not wide receiver friendly. Uh, Devontae Parker never did anything with the Dolphins under Gase. Why are we thinking that 
Josh Doxson coming off the street is going to contribute in Adam Gase's offense. I, I There's 40 to 45 wide receivers I'd probably rather have than Josh Doxson. Oh, more. If not more. If not more, 50 to 60 potentially. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm... I don't know. He's still young enough. If you're in a super deep dynasty startup, I'm fine with him as a late round dart throw, but that's that's about it. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we don't see the fifth, sixth year breakout in the NFL at the wide receiver position. We just don't. <laughs> Although this this last year we, we sure did. did. <laughs> Devontae Parker and, and you know, I got to give a shout out to Okada. Uh, he was actually on that still you know, singing his praises. And I was like, dude, you're an absolute nut. There's no way. Uh, and of course it did happen. So it's not on the realm of possibility, but that was, you know, different where, where you at least knew the quarterback would be someone willing to throw the ball, chuck it downfield. Sam Darnold, man, he needs weapons. And if he's going to lose Robbie Anderson in free agency, which it looks like he will with him, uh, being a, a unrestricted free agent, replacing him with a guy like Josh Dotson is not it. So I hope that they address the position, in the draft uh, to really build around Sam Darnold because I still like Darnold as a prospect and I still think yeah, he's so a good, talented quarterback. But if there's no one to throw the ball to, then obviously that really does hurt his value there. Next player that we... Yeah, Josh... Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, if Doxon's the best wide receiving option on the New York Jets this next season, I want... I mean, I already want no part, but that will be a historically bad offense. Yeah. Uh, if we thought Sam Darnold was seeing ghosts last year, watch... Out. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Next player that is signed with a team here, re-signed, I should, I should say, Danny Amendola back with the Detroit Lions. Again, um, just a quick takeaway for me personally is just that this is good news for Matthew Stafford. It's another weapon that he can use that's reliable mm-hmm. in the short to intermediate passing game. Outside of that, uh, not a ton of fantasy interest for me personally. John, anything for you on that one? No, that's about it. He's a reliable uh, possession receiver that you know can help them short to intermediate like you're saying um i like it for the offense for actual uh, football reasons um you know like you're saying for stafford that's great having that check down option um short intermediate routes fantastic um doesn't do anything for me for fantasy but um yeah it's i think it's a good veteran uh re-signing for for that offense as a whole yeah what do you think about this we have in the live chat right now which is you know this is the fun part about these live streams is that people can kind of come in and interact with us while we record uh samuel underscore dff says best ball dart throw late in drafts danny amandola what do you think about that um geez maybe um (laughs) I don't know. It doesn't. Yeah, I, it doesn't do anything for me. Um, I don't. I don't love it. Um, I'm. I'm fine with it. I mean. I mean that offense. You know, could potentially be on the rise um, as a whole. Stafford coming back healthy. Um, they were clicking early last season. Uh, that offense as a whole. So um, yeah. I mean, as a late round dart throw, I'm. I'm fine with Damian Mandola. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. Yeah. I'm not super excited about it. I'll probably take some shots elsewhere. He's not really the type of guy that comes to mind when I think best ball, high upside, um, you know, catch two balls for 120 yards and two touchdowns type of player. But yeah, it's fine. Um, if that's your thing, Samuel, DFF. <laughs> <laughs> Next piece of news here, and then we're going to get into some injury news tonight. 
you know, Cam Newton has been, I feel like a topic that we talked about a little bit and kind of has been in and out of the media in regards to like what his future even is with the Panthers. But the team is coming out and being reported by Ian Rappaport that they're moving forward as if he is their quarterback to start the season. And John, I'll, I'll start and then I'll kick it over to you. And I'll talk about the injury. And I think part of this is not only the fact that it's really that he's back as a starter. I think he's back as a starter because he can't be traded right now, especially being, you know, um, in an injury situation where he's rehabbing, obviously with the Liz Frank injury of last year, injured it early in the preseason, then tried to come back early in the season and played a few games, re-injured it. And then from there, you know, he was just never able to get back on the field without surgery. So it's a long recovery. I mean, Marquise Hollywood Brown had this surgery after his, um, his final season in college still wasn't a hundred percent, you know, leading up to October, November of last year, almost a full year removed. So is Cam Newton going to be back on the field in 2020? Yes, he will. Is he going to be a hundred percent? I don't think so. Especially the old Cam thinking about, you know, his rushing mobility, um, and kind of how he's used as a dual threat quarterback in the NFL. I think those days are mostly over personally, but with that aside, you know, if the team is moving forward with him as a starter, it has to give some confidence, I think, in guys like DJ Moore and guys like Curtis Samuel. Your thoughts, John? Yeah, so a couple things. Uh, one, a less than 100% Cam Newton is not going to be any worse of a quarterback situation than they had there for most of last year. Very fair. For, uh, for a fantasy value for the wide receivers. Um, so I, I'm totally on board with that. I, I think it's interesting and... I heard the exact same thing and the reason of them not being able to trade him right now, I think is absolutely the driving factor in that. Um, Otherwise they're holding out and they're waiting until, you know, May. And at that point, the carousels already stopped spinning. Right. And you're basically just saying, well, we're, we're kind of hoping that, that we can get away with swindling a trade if someone gets hurt in the preseason. And, and that's no way to operate. Now, what I do think is interesting, um, I still really love the idea of Carolina trading up and taking Tua. Um, I, I love that as a possibility. They've got some capital to do it. If they don't think that Cam is the long-term solution, but they kind of feel like they still need him for this year, and you have Tua coming off his injury, and he might need some time to to get up to speed, you know, might redshirt for a season and, and sit behind. That kind of makes sense, right? You're, you're counting on Cam coming back and giving you one more season. Um, and then you have Tua waiting in the wings. And then you could potentially explore a trade next offseason for, for trading Cam to a, a quarterback-hungry team at that point. That That's an option that I could see being a realistic possibility. Um, otherwise, they're just going forward with basically no future plan at quarterback and just saying, well, we're hoping that Cam's healthy. Yeah. So you got to have a plan. You got to have a a locked in starter. And if not for that season, like you're saying, someone waiting in the wings, that is going to definitely be that. I agree 100%, especially when you guys, and you have guys in house that are good, that are young, that you're trying to rebuild around, you know, DJ Moore, Ian Thomas, Curtis Samuel, all young players, all young weapons. And obviously Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey. Yeah, (laughs) this this one guy who happens to be the best player in in fantasy football, uh, Christian McCaffrey there too. So yeah, um, they've got to figure that situation out because I think that offense, you know, they, they had some holes on the defensive side for sure. Could not stop the run to save their life, but on offense, they have a really good solid core in place. But if they don't have a quarterback, 
it might not matter. So we'll see what happens there, right. um, you know, in, in Carolina and with Cam. As of now, he is the starter. We'll see what happens in the draft. Speaking of the draft and speaking of uh, the aforementioned Tua Tagovailoa, uh, you must have read the show doc, John, because that was a professional transition there in podcasting. Oh, thank you. Yes, very yes, nice. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> was seen at the Combine still limping on his right leg. And I want to talk about this from an injury perspective because... You know, obviously, if you've listened to the show for a while, you know my background as a physical therapist. I see these injuries all the time, and I think it helps us kind of have um, more of an accurate look at injury information. So if you're new to the show, first off, thank you for checking us out. Second off, I'm not just some dude commenting on this from afar. Um, you know, seeing sports injuries in the clinic every day is is my day job, so to speak. So with Tua, you know, the combine is not for anything outside of medical checks for him. He's not really going to do much as far as throwing the football. He's not really going to run any um, agility drills. He's not going to jump. Like it's, it literally for him is is talking to teams and it's about the medical check. And we're going to see what happens here. Obviously, in a few days, we're recording this on Tuesday evening, and you know by the time this podcast podcast comes out, it'll be Wednesday, and that'll be when the the combine really is ramping up. So we'll see what what comes out of there from a medical perspective. But I'll just give my take, and then John, you can kind of talk about what you think as far as, you know, projecting like draft position and draft capital and all that kind of stuff. I've said it all along. I don't know that Tua is really going to be himself this year. I mean, hip fracture dislocation is a huge injury and literally can cause the top of the the femur, the thigh bone to undergo what we call necrosis or basically lose blood supply and he would have to have a hip replacement. Now, fortunately, that did not happen for him. So he escaped the scary scenario. But I think it just tells you how serious this injury actually is. Still limping at this point. I'm seeing rumors that he's going to be cleared on March 9th to do football activities. Yeah. I mean, there is no way that that is going to be happening as far as him being able to do everything he could do last year at this time. No way. Zero percent chance. Right. So it's going to be a slow summer for him. I do think he'll be on the field at some point this year, but I've said it all along and I'm going to stick to it until I see otherwise. 2021 is going to be the year uh, of Tua. John, your thoughts there? Right. Yeah. Um, from everything that I've heard, obviously you've got the medical uh, expertise to it, but that's basically what I'm hearing um, is that we're expecting him to uh, maybe get cleared to throw in, you know, two and a half weeks. Um, but that throw might look a lot like Ben Roethlisberger in the gym. I don't know how much he's going to be doing. <laughs> you mean Matt Patricia? Uh, when, yes, Matt Patricia, exactly. I don't know how much he's going to actually um, do. I mean, it's very interesting. I'm curious to see how that looks and, and you know, what his uh, capabilities are. Um, but, yeah, by all accounts, it sounds like he's, you know, going to be sitting for, for 2021. Um, obviously, without the injury, I mean, you can make a really strong case that he's the better quarterback in this draft. Um, the better prospect has shown it over a longer period of time, has the consistency. He's, you know, very mobile. Um, there's a lot of things that you, um, could make the argument for that. He's the better, uh, prospect. There's a lot of people that still think that and still think that he's a better, uh, dynasty quarterback, um, acquisition in this year's rookie drafts, even though he might miss a year. Um, so yeah, I mean it's gonna be interesting to see what he does and, and kind of what that timetable looks like and and how 
it's going to be interesting because he's going to be meeting with a ton of teams over the next few days and having those conversations and answering the same questions. How do you feel? How would you feel about sitting for a year? You know, they're going to have a lot of conversations. Um, he's such a likable kid. Oh yeah. That oh, yeah. he's going to, I mean, he's going to win the hearts of GMs everywhere. Um, I think that, I don't know. I would not be shocked in the least to see a trade up happen early in the first round. Um, and see a team plan their future around Tua and bench him for a year. Yeah, I think that's 100% spot on. Uh, yeah, fun kid to root for. Obviously, even now with the injury coming back from that, I just want to see this kid succeed because his talent yeah, is unreal. Um, and it's actually interesting. And he's a lefty. Yeah, that's fun. It's actually interesting you brought that up. We were having that debate today at work. You know, If he didn't get injured, would he be the, the unquestioned number one pick in the draft? And I said yes. Um now, I, I don't know if that's actually true. That's what I think. But that's yeah. that's kind of my evaluation of him. A absolute stud. Um, last piece of injury news here, and then we'll get into the fun stuff. Uh, Marquise Hollywood-Brown had surgery to remove a screw from his foot. Now, we did just talk about him with the Liz Frank injury when we discussed Cam. And this is basically what can happen when you have a surgery in the foot. Essentially, you know, you're running, you're cutting, you're jumping, you're doing everything you have to do as a wide receiver in the NFL. And essentially, that spot where the, the surgery is located, the hardware in there can kind of get irritated. It can cause pain. And we heard you know, the team come out and say basically that their rookie wide receiver, Hollywood Brown, was not even himself 100% at all throughout this season. And again, I think that just speaks to what Cam is probably going to go through as far as the timeline. But for Marquise Hollywood Brown... You know, it's it's not great that he's having another surgery, but I'll tell you, it does help patients a lot. And so if if Marquis Hollywood Brown wasn't himself last year, as obviously the surgery indicates, I think we could see even more explosive plays with he and LaShawn Jackson next year. John, does that change your evaluation of Hollywood Brown in fantasy? Because for me, I don't know, the way he plays, I'm still not really in on him, especially with you know, it's, it's such a high variance player for me. I don't like that in my lineup. Some people do. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple things. Um, first off, do you know what his sort of timeline is like for, for getting back on the field after removing that screw? Yeah, it's relatively quick compared to other major surgeries. I mean, he'll probably be out for the early start of OTAs, but by the time like summer and training camp gets here, he's going to be fine. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. He, if he's fully healthy, um, and he comes back, it, to me, he reminds me of Deshaun Jackson in fantasy. It's that high variance, boom bust player that kind of has the potential to break all the molds. Like you look at everything, and it doesn't make sense, and he shouldn't be able to be consistent, but maybe he can be. Um, I have no problem rostering a high upside young wide receiver like that, especially if I have consistency elsewhere. Um, I'm not drafting him as a wide receiver too. Um, there's, there's no way I I'd much rather have some more consistent production, um, there, but yeah, I mean, if, if he's someone that, I don't know if you're doing dynasty startups right now, coming off this news, um, that he's having surgery, maybe it knocks his value down a round or two. Um, you can go and scoop him up and have a, you know, high upside wide receiver four on your team. 
Yeah, I think that's that's about right. You know, a, a four, a fringe three is how I see mm-hmm. him at the wide receiver position. But yeah, certainly you have to have that stability in your lineup first. Okay, man, that was a lot of injury news, a lot of news around the NFL, a lot of news around the combine. And we're going to get into that here in a second. But before we do, I want to let everyone know about the sponsor of tonight's show. That is Trophy Smack. Listen, guys. Trophy Smack is legit. This place is awesome. TrophySmack.com has everything you need. Rings, trophies, belts, you name it, they have it. You can customize your engraving on the trophy. Um, you know, you can get different toppers. You can fully customizable, 100% back these guys. Good people, put out a good, good product. Check them out. Go to TrophySmack.com. And when you add a ring to your cart, when you check out, add the code RedShirts and you will get a free ring with the purchase of any trophy or belt. All right, John, we have discussed running backs before you and I, we have talked about running backs Mm -hmm. one through five in your ranks. Now I want to spend the majority of our time tonight talking running backs six to 10, because you just released this information on the site. So this is hot off the press. This is fresh. This is new. Yeah, Uh, And and let's just talk real quick, give our listeners a rundown, minimal explanation, but just kind of let them know who do you have one through five first? Yeah, one through five. Uh, in order, I have Jonathan Taylor as my one, uh, DeAndre Swift as my two, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as my three, uh, Cam Akers is my fourth, J.K. Dobbins is five. Hot take. Kind Hot of. take. J.K. Dobbins, way down there. Yeah, and, and we've talked a lot about him you know, previously, so if you missed the first episode where John and I sat down and talked running backs. Go back and check it out. Um, I believe that was three or four podcast episodes ago. We talked through those five guys. But tonight, I want to talk about six through ten. John, who do you have at six? Yeah, number six for me is uh, Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, I Man, I love this kid's game. The more I watch of him, the more I love it. Um, he's so good. He's so polished. He's very fluid. Um some of the things that Jonathan Taylor does very, very well in terms of not wasting energy, uh, setting up blockers, uh, setting up defenders um, to to be out of position. I see a lot of that in Vaughn as well. Um, he's just so well-rounded. Like, there's nothing that really jumps out as being incredibly elite. Like, he's not elite speed. He's not elite power. Like, it's nothing like that. Um, kind of going through the categories... Um, I've got a couple 7.5s and a couple 7s for him. So nothing in that 8 to 9 range, um, but just a really solid floor. Um, he's really close to me, honestly, with J.K. Dobbins. It's it's close. They're only a couple points apart in my, in my model. Um, one of the things that I like is that he's very good at transitioning from agility to power. Um, there's a couple things. I actually posted a couple clips on my Twitter account today that as I was kind of watching some tape, um, where he can make one guy miss. And then when he gets to a mesh point with other defenders, it's all power and he does not go down easy. And I like that about his game. So, um, you kind of have to take into consideration. He played in the sec, which is, you know, the toughest defensive conference in the country, especially against running backs. Um, and he still was able to produce in a very subpar offense with a bad offensive line. Um, he really put together a nice year. The The tape is great on the kid. I don't know. I'm probably going to have to do a post-combine ranking in about a week or two with oh, all yeah. these 10 again. Yeah, and I don't know. The more I watch of him, the more I want to move him up. So he's someone that I'm paying very close attention to. 
Yeah, and, and real quick, just for our listeners, I mean, you you referenced that, you know, he's got some sevens in the model, some it was eights, six and a half, yeah. whatever. Um, John uses a 10-point scale for the heavily weighted categories. And John, just let our listeners yes. know what those are real quick. And then also a five-point scale for, you know, categories that probably aren't quite as important for looking at an NFL prospect. So just run through that real quick. Yeah, so the 10-point categories, uh, speed, quickness burst, uh, power, agility, vision, contact balance, something I call joystick, like their ability to make people miss, and their receiving ability. Um, those are the 10-point categories. Uh, Five-point categories, pass protection, uh, tackle breaking, and goal line. And then two categories that are two-and-a-half-point scale, creativity and ball security. It adds up to be an even 100. Um, so as you're kind of going through, that's that's where I'm at. Uh, on the categories that are out of 10, Six is is considered NFL average. Um, so if you're looking, Keyshawn Vaughn is going to be my next piece that comes out on Thursday. Um, this is going to be the next breakdown that I do. So when you're looking through and you see seven out of ten, that's slightly above NFL average caliber. Yeah, I think that that's perfect. I agree with a lot of that in, in the you know aspect of thinking about him as an above average running back. I, I think that he does a lot of things really well. And there's a lot of things that I would see him like to improve on it. And, you know, we'll talk about that here in a minute. One thing I want to talk about in your article that you discuss, again, that's on the website, RetroitsFantasyFootball.com, is you said he put on five pounds since the Senior Bowl, which was not that long ago. And you said you like yeah. that about him. What What does that mean as far as translating to either his performance at the Combine or as far as an NFL prospect? Yeah, so he came in and I've updated all the measurements um, on, on my end to be their combine measurements. So um, I'm probably going to go back and edit all the articles that I've posted that had their height and weight of running backs like Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, Swift, all that. I'm yeah. going to go back and edit those numbers so that they're the combine numbers instead of what was listed the real um, numbers. on the website. Because the real numbers, yeah. So I'm going to go back and change all those. Um, but going forward, they're going to be combine numbers. Um, so he came in at uh, 5'9", 214, um, and he was at about 209 when he weighed in at the Senior Bowl. So I'm really curious to see how this transitions to his speed and agility. Um, if it's a good playing weight for him, then I like it. Um, if it's not, I don't care if he weighs two, 209, 210 as opposed to 214. Um, but I do like that aspect for contributing to his power game if that's what he's looking to emphasize because he is a very strong runner. He does not go down easily. And if he's looking to emphasize that part of his game, I like it for him. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that is definitely his strength for sure. I agree with you. Uh, you did put a, a nice clip up on the website as well in your article. And basically that just shows his power, like driving defenders oh, into the end zone. It's it's impressive for sure. It was against LSU. Yeah. And he carried basically their entire front seven four yards for a touchdown. Yeah. It was it was impressive. To go down. So go hit the the article that I posted today, the clips embedded in there. Yeah. If that's his his biggest strength, we'll say, uh, what would you say his biggest weakness is as a prospect? Yeah. Um I would say his biggest weakness is probably his receiving ability. Um he was not used very heavily in that aspect of the game. Like he has it, he can do it, he can contribute there. Um, but he's not Clyde Edwards Hilaire that you're going to split out wide and have him run routes. So, yeah. um, you know, he does have some decent hands. Um, he doesn't run routes very well at all. He's a good check down option. Um, so that part of his game could probably use a little bit of work. Um, I also 
Um, he needs a little bit of work in his pass protection as well. Um, that's something that a lot of players coming out of college are not very well coached up on. It's something that I think a lot of running backs have to transition to uh, when they get to the NFL level. So I think that he can be coached up in that aspect. But, you know, if you're looking for a running back that's going to stay on the field all three downs, um, I want him to improve his pass protection. I think that he's got the hands to be someone that can be used in the passing game, but it wasn't something that Vanderbilt did very often. Yep, I think that's that's spot on. You know, it's not that he can't do it because we haven't really seen him do it a lot. But you know, is he going to go right. into a system that will use him in in the right way, and can he improve in those categories? Uh, we shall see. On to running back number seven here in your rankings, it is Zach Moss out of Utah. And this is one where I disagree with you a little bit, John. It's, it's good to have some disagreement. We were talking today uh, in the group it chat, is. and it's kind of a good thing because it makes you refine your process a little bit, right? Like when you tell me that you're yes. higher on a player, I'm like, man, did I miss something? I got to go back and watch some more tape. And you literally said, after I said that, you're like, I got to go watch more tape. I, I got to see what's yep. going on. <laughs> I'm higher on Zach Moss exactly. than you. Uh, I'll let you go first. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about uh, the running back out of Utah. Yeah, so Zach Moss... Um Moss is a power dude. This guy is big. Uh, he came in at the combine 5'9", 223. Um, so he is sturdy. Um, one of the things that came up when I was watching a lot of film, and, and here's the thing, Zach Moss is known for being a broken tackle machine. That yes. is what his calling card is. That's what everyone loves about him. PFF has him. Uh, there was one article that had him as ERB one in this class on PFF. I saw that. Uh, I that that's a little rich for my blood, but um, he's a good running back. He's a very powerful back. He kind of reminds me in some ways of Derrick Henry, and I love Derrick Henry. He mows people over. Now the only thing, and I posted this on Twitter, and I got a little bit of pushback from it. Um, the only thing that I noticed in watching a lot of the tape from him is that. If defenders are able to go low on him, what I noticed a a lot was in the Pac-12 championship game against Oregon. A lot of defenders figured out that if they can go low on him, like knees and below when they're going in for a tackle, that they were having a lot of success with that. He wasn't able to elude it. He didn't have the agility to, to make that miss. He didn't have a counter for that style of tackling. So... I posted that there were some arm tackles that he should have broken and people were like, but he breaks every tackle and they were freaking out on me. Um, and I know <laughs> that he breaks a ton and I get it, but NFL defenses are better than college defenses. If he doesn't have the agility to go side to side and to make people miss, he's not going to, you're not going to run everyone over in the NFL. It's just, that's not going to happen unless no. you're an absolute monster. Unless so, you're Derrick Henry. I, Unless you're Derrick Henry. And Derrick Henry's got like 15 pounds on him. Um, And he's like three inches taller or whatever. So Moss is a big back. He's not the biggest back. And I think that he was such a power runner and a power run scheme that it went very well for him. Um, But I I do fear that his lack of ability or agility rather and lack of top end speed to, to bounce outside... I have some slight question marks there in terms of how that translates. 
Yeah, I think those points are fair. And, and it's interesting you bring up that Oregon game. Um, that's a game that I watched closely. Uh, one of my really good friends uh, is a, a Utah grad. So he was locked in and I was like, yeah, hey, I love football. I'll come watch with you. Um, and it's definitely something I saw as well. You know, with that, he didn't have the best game in that you know contest. And they really did figure out a way to slow him down. For me, though, with Zach Moss, like <clears throat> the thing that I like about him is what you alluded to is his ability to break tackles. And I see a lot of Kareem Hunt in his game where, you know, the stature is similar. The way he's utilized uh, was mostly similar in college. Excellent contact balance. That's that's kind of the player I see. Yep. Is he going to juke you out of your shoes? No, but can he make a little bit of a shimmy here or there to make you miss so that he breaks an arm tackle? Yeah, for sure. So that's kind of what I see when I see his game. And I think it takes the right situation the right offense yep. for him to work if he goes to a situation where they're expecting him to create in space on his own and you know, kind of use that way i'm with you I, I don't know that i see it uh with him there do you have a final grade on zach moss out of 100 yet yeah on zach moss i've got him at 67.5 okay um that's where i've got him right now um in comparison i had uh Keyshawn Vaughn at 69, so he's not far behind. There's a lot of things about Moss's game that I do like. Um, the lack of speed and agility concerns me, but he is so powerful. Oh, yeah. Breaks tackles incredibly well. Um, his ability on the goal line is going to be great. I mean, if he is in a committee at the next level, he's going to poach touchdowns like crazy. So, um, But I do think that he's very draft capital and landing spot dependent in terms of how a team values him and what they're wanting him to do and the kind of running that they're asking of him. Cause he kind of reminds me of when Royce Freeman came out of Oregon and Royce has been very mediocre um, since coming in. He might have a nice role on a team for, for real football purposes. I don't know how that's going to translate to fantasy. Same as, as Royce Freeman. Yeah. And that's what we care about. So definitely I, I think yeah. I'm with you, you know, we kind of disagreed as far as our rankings. I've got him up at uh, five right now in my rookie ranks mm-hmm. for running backs. But, you know, landing spot changes and he could be in a situation where I have him at like eight or nine because of the, of the terrible spot or up at four or three. You know, it, he's, I think, the biggest riser or biggest fall uh, based off of landing spot for me personally. Give me your that. biggest weakness with Zach Moss. One thing he has to work on at the next level. Um... Biggest weakness for him um, in my grades, his quickness and burst, like his short area quickness, I've got graded really poorly out of 5.5. He just doesn't have a short area quick step. Um, You know, he's not someone that is going to make you miss in a phone booth. That's not his game. He needs a couple steps to get that big frame rolling downhill. And once he does that, he's fantastic. But if a defense is able to penetrate very well, stop him in the backfield, you know, break it up, like make him change, get him off of his tracks a little bit. um, He loses steam pretty quick. All right. Fair enough. We're on to running back number eight. Um, This guy has a a nickname, and I'll let you share it. We're talking about A.J. (laughs) Dillon out of Boston College. What is the nickname for Mr. Dillon? Oh, my gosh. Um, (laughs) Do you have it up? (laughs) I do. I'm, like, so mortified of actually using this nickname (laughs) in a podcast. 
Um, but I'm going to. Hey, you put um, it on the you put it in the article, so I did put it in the article. Um, it's a lot easier to be brave behind a keyboard. Um, I have him nicknamed <laughs> as Thick Freakness. Um, this dude is a monster of a yeah. running back. Um, he is six foot two forty seven. Yeah, that is nine a brick house. pounds. He's nine pounds heavier than Derrick Henry. Jeez, he is a large human being. Um, and it is absurd to watch basically a middle linebacker with a football. It, yeah. It's, it is crazy. Um, there's some areas of his game that are good. There's some areas that obviously we got big question marks on. Oh yeah. Um, obviously power is going to be a good aspect of his game. Um, the dude just mauls people over. Um, he actually has kind of sneaky agility though. Like his, his feet are actually a little bit quicker um, than I think you expect. He's just got a little bit of slipperiness that you don't expect from a running back of that size, which is interesting. And man, they just, that offense was like old school smash mouth offense. They would bring him in. And, and it was just downhill, like, trap block and go on, like, every play. So, the, kind of the lack of versatility is obviously concerning um, for me at, at the next level. His He wasn't used as a receiver, like, at all. Yep. Um, he's a big dude. He's a strong dude. He breaks tackles. He runs downhill with power. Um, <coughs> he does pretty well in, in pass protection at... Um, I, like when I'm looking at pass protection, it's not necessarily just the physicality of it because obviously he's a big human being, but pass protection is a mental game of being able to properly identify the assignment. And he does a really good job um, of finding the red assignment on, on blitz pickup and, and things of that nature. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know what else to say about a 247 pound running back that can lean downhill and gain four or five yards. Um, but that's basically his game. Yeah, the fact that this dude is heavier than Derrick Henry is unreal. Probably nine pounds. Like, unreal. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a huge human being. And yes, you you've got defensive backs that are literally sixty pounds lighter than he is. Yeah, I mean, you get him in space one on one, and I would feel better about his ability to basically run you over. You know, compared to someone oh, else yeah. that would stick his foot in the ground and change direction. Um, and I think for him. You know, it's it really is, I think, all about the offense he goes to. If he is in an offense that's similar to the way the Titans use Derrick Henry, I mean, that's fine for mm-hmm. fantasy. Um, obviously, the lack of pass-catching production is a concern. I agree with you on that. He's a player that I think, you know, when you look at production models and production profile, it's going to look good from a rushing perspective because, like you were saying, they used him a ton. He was the offense in Boston College, and so... Oh, yeah that might not match with the way today's NFL is used and the ways, you know, the offenses are used, the running backs are used, et cetera. So he's really intriguing. I think it takes the perfect spot for him to be fantasy relevant. Um, But we'll find out. Give me the final grade there on AJ Dillon. Yeah. um, AJ Dillon, I've got at 63.5. And for reference, thick freakness is spelled with, with two, with two C's. Two C's, absolutely. <laughs> I might need to go back into the article, John, and change it to three C's. 
Okay, do it. That's fine. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, he is one big running back. My gosh. Um, let's go on to running back number nine, a guy that is not very big, uh, quite small, actually, when you talk about his height and his BMI. Uh, Eno Benjamin. Let's talk about him Eno. out of Arizona State. Yeah, talk about a flip of the script. You go from six pound or uh, six foot two forty seven to five uh, eight two oh seven. So he's forty pounds lighter uh, than thick freakness. Um, <laughs> We're <laughs> making that happen. So it's gonna happen. That's it's gonna stick. Um, that's gonna be a hashtag tomorrow. Oh yeah. Um, Eno is interesting. He does a lot of stuff well, but not great. Um, what he is is he is a fantastic receiving option um outside of Clyde Edwards Hilaire he's the best receiving back in this class he had oh don't have the number in front of me over 40 catches um this year which is really great especially when you're comparing all the other top backs in this class pretty much were in the 20s um in terms of their reception totals um he was over 40 um he is I think quicker then people give him credit for This is a guy I'm really curious to see what his combine looks like. If he runs, because he already came in, 207 is is bigger than people were thinking that he was going to be. Um, they were thinking that he was going to be coming in sub 200, right around like the 198 mark, came in at 207. That's pretty good for his frame. Um, I think he's going to be quicker than people give him credit for. I'm, I'm curious to see what his 40 time looks like, what the agility drills look like for him. I think that he can really help his draft stock at the combine more than some of these other guys, because I think there are some questions about his um, quickness, his athleticism. So it'll be uh, interesting to see what happens with him with the drills this weekend. Yeah. It's, you know, he's a player that I think if you play college fantasy, if you follow college football in any capacity you know his name like he was the guy that um a couple years ago was really hot in debbie leagues and really was a player that we thought was going to be amazing and the production profile really fell off this past year um give me your thoughts there what what was the rationale for why that might have happened was it usage was it performance bad offense what's what's going on there i think with him i think it's a little bit of everything um i think that he gets a little too cute sometimes um, he wants to rely on agility. He wants to rely on on uh, making people miss, but it's not the strength of his game. He needs to just kind of settle down and take what's given to him sometimes. You know, he's had opportunities where sometimes you just need to pick up a tough two or three yards instead of dancing around, trying to change direction, not trying hit to get the home, home run play every time. Yeah, you yeah. just have to be able to take what's given to you sometimes as a running back. Now, if he wants to be a Tariq Cohen, then he doesn't need to do that. And that might be his role. He might be just a passing down back at the next level. Um, if he wants to be someone that's on the field more, um, potentially trying to work his way to a, uh, a three down back, then he's got to be able to kind of grind stuff out a little bit more. Now, he did show it sometimes. Um, he showed... Uh, I'm bringing up Oregon again because it was another uh, game that I watched. They played against Oregon, I think it was late in the season, um, and he did some pretty good tough running. But I, I will give him credit for that. He he doesn't stop his feet. He fights until 
it's over, which is which is nice to see out of a, a smaller back. He is pretty scrappy and, and he'll he'll fight for it and he'll dig for extra yardage. Um but that's an element of his game that I, I wanted to see more of, more consistency, better vision and processing. Um sometimes there were opportunities that he didn't see or he saw them too late. Um so yeah, I mean he really projects for me to really be a passing down back at the next level. Um might be someone that's valuable in, in PPR formats potentially. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to depend on where he goes, what they ask him to do um, and the investment that a team's willing to put into him. Yeah. I think that sums it up perfectly. Let's hit the final grade on Eno Benjamin and then we'll move on to your running back 10 in this class. Yeah. Uh, Eno Benjamin, I have graded at a 61. All right. Number 10, Joshua Kelly out of UCLA. Let's talk about Joshua Kelly, a guy who I played in my first college fantasy football league this year, and it was oh, well, there you go. An, an experience. It was a lot more work than I thought, yeah. uh, and I took Joshua Kelly in the second round, and that did not work out. Tell yeah. me about his final season there at UCLA. Yeah, it was a really up-and-down year for him. Um, production was a little bit all over the map. Um, he did show some good flashes. Um, I don't think anyone helped themselves more at the senior bowl outside of maybe P Ryan, who I've got just outside the top 10, um, than Joshua Kelly. He had a great week of practice there, which matters a lot to those coaches and scouts. Um, and then he translated it to, to the game on, on Saturday and put together a nice game. So I think that he really helped himself and kind of maybe got a little bit back into some good favor um, with what he did at the senior bowl against some good competition. Um, he is pretty balanced as a back in terms of his speed, his athleticism. Um, he fights, you know, for he fights for yardage pretty well. He's 5'10", 212. So he's got a pretty prototypical, you know, pretty average running back build. Um, he's definitely not thick freakness. Um, <laughs> no one is. Not the, no one is. No one is thick freakness. Um, He's not the best when it comes to creating. He's not a super creative back. He doesn't have, you know, the bag of tricks, uh, stuff like that. Um, lacks a little bit of lateral agility. He's okay in that area. Not fantastic. Um, his balance is okay. Not fantastic. There's a lot of stuff that he's just kind of average at. Um, one big, like, glaring weakness uh, for me was the receiving um, option of the game. I mean, really not good. Um, he did not put together a great stat line. Um, they didn't use him much, um, in the receiving game. So let me pull up. Actually, I want to take a look at how many receptions he had. Sure. Um, he only had 11 catches this year, 11. So less than, you know, what one a game, like yeah. it was a, a check down a game basically is what that equated to. So, that's a pretty glaring hole in his game. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how much stock he's going to get. You know, talking about the RB10, we're talking at this point, we're getting down to some pretty fringe running back players in terms of actual relevance, uh, depending on where they go. I mean, if he slides all the way to, you know, fifth, sixth round of the NFL draft, uh, that doesn't bode really well for him. So, I mean, at this point, we're talking about running backs that might be a late-round dart throw in rookie drafts. Um, probably not draftable in redraft um, his yeah. rookie year, you know, at this point. So, yeah, we're, we're kind of getting down to 
to the bottom of the barrel um, at, at this point in terms of what might be relevant or have some some positive future outlook. Yeah, can we just go back and talk about Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift again? That was a lot more fun. Yeah, it's way more fun. So so good. <laughs> yeah, these are these I are the guys break down that those guys all day. Yeah, will probably not be relevant in redraft unless there's an injury to someone in front of them on the depth chart. Um, yeah, it's, it's he's fine. I'm not in love with Joshua Kelly by any means. Yeah. He's an okay running back. I don't see him really making a splash in the NFL. I don't. I don't see an NFL talent that's going to stick out in my eyes personally. Now, can he land in a good situation where there's a thin depth chart in front of him as a mid-round to late-round draft pick in the NFL draft? Sure. And can that translate to success down the road? Possibly. But for me, yeah, probably, what would you say? Like In in rookie picks, where can you expect Joshua Kelly to come off the board? Are we talking like mid-second, late-second, third? Where are we at? Third or later. Third or later. Especially with how deep this wide receiver class is. Yep. yeah, he's going to be pushed way down there in in rookie yeah, drafts. For sure. Let's uh let's chat about Yeah, let's chat about Joshua Kelly's final grade and then we'll move on to our next segment. Yeah, I've got him at a 60.5 kind of really average across the board with a couple glaring weaknesses like his receiving game, um lack of usage there. Um he's a fine he's got a fine athletic profile and, and that's why I think he might do himself some favors this weekend. Um, I think that how he tests is going to be important to his grade. I think that he's one of those guys that needs to have a good showing in the 40, in the cone drills, all that stuff to, to show athleticism uh, to try and help his stock. Yeah, I think that's about right for Joshua Kelly. Okay, that rounds it out. Running back 6 through 10, officially now on the books. We have already talked 1 through 5. All 10 running backs have a write-up on the website and John will break down the guys that we just talked about in more detail. Um, you know, each player will get their own article, but if you want those rankings, they're up on the website, redshirtsfantasyfootball.com. Before we get into the next segment, which is also on the website, uh, I wanted to let everyone know about a new sponsor that we have. That is tiny whiteboard workouts. And you know, what this is, is essentially a good friend of mine. His name is John. Uh, he's the man and he started, yeah, great name. He started his own personal training uh, business, and his is different than other people. So, you know, maybe you're intimidated to go to the gym. Maybe you are not into beach body, bro, lifting. That's not his thing. He's here to train um, people that want to move well and stay active and healthy in day-to-day life. And so he started his own program down in Naples, Florida called Tiny Whiteboard Workouts. You can check him out online, tinywhiteboardworkouts.com, also on Instagram, uh, at Tiny Whiteboard Workouts. And basically what he does is um, every day he'll post a workout on there. You can follow it for free. But if you have bigger goals and you really want to work with him one-on-one, he offers online training, which I think is super valuable, um, You know, especially in today's fitness industry. Everyone wants to get healthy and, and stay right. And John's going to help you do that. So go ahead and check him out. Um, when you sign up to, to work with him, just let him know the red shirt sent you uh, and let him know that we support him because he is the man. John, if you're listening, you're the dude. Go train with John. Okay. Now there's too many Johns on the show. John, Way too many. Yeah. Back to the show. John, have yeah. you had a chance to check out my latest article on the website? I have gone through it uh, slightly. I was preparing my own article um, most 
That's a kind way of saying no, I haven't had the time. (laughs) I have not fully carved out the time to read through it all the way, and I'm excited for you to educate me. Yeah, this is, I think, the perfect complement to uh, what you're doing as far as your research because it's Combine Week. Everyone loves combine drills. Everyone loves to see these guys on the field competing because it's our first real chance to compare everyone across the same stage, right? But I wanted to know, what does the 40-yard dash really mean for fantasy football production? Like, does it matter that someone runs a 4-4 or a 4-5-6? And if it does, how much? So I spent about six hours researching this information, um, a lot of time, putting together the article. And basically what I found was there's some good conclusions that we can draw. Now, I took a sample size from 2015 to 2019. And what I looked at was basically who were the top 24 running backs each season in those years? And this is in half PPR formats. And then I went back and I looked at, okay, these are the top 24. What was their 40 time when they either ran at the NFL Combine, if they got invited, or if they didn't, at their pro day? And that's what I use as the data. So going back and looking at the numbers, I was actually really surprised because I feel like, you know, as someone who three years ago was just a casual fan of um, the Combine, didn't really follow it a lot, kind of just looked at the numbers after the wor- after the fact, I saw a trend in, in the general public that was basically, the Combine is awesome, the 40-yard dash means everything, this guy's blazing fast, like he's going to be good at football, right? And it turns out that's not really the case. So the numbers were kind of staggering here. I, I went back and looked at, you know, basically like the hit rate when you look at the the cutoff score. So I used about a, a four. 458, a 4.58 40-yard dash or slower. And I looked at, you know, okay, in these four seasons, how many running backs actually produced RB2 or better numbers? John, we're talking four seasons. Can you guess how many running backs there were? I'm going to guess eight. Six. So in four seasons, yeah, close. Only six players actually finished as an RB2 or better when they ran that slow. So, I mean, that's something to monitor this week at the Combine. Like, we'll talk about the specifics here in a sec, but if someone's running faster than a 4.58 or a 4.57, that matters for fantasy football. If they are a plotter, if they are slow, if they are someone like a Jordan Howard or someone like, I don't know, a good example off the top of my head, but like, who's the guy? Joyke Bell used to play for the Lions, someone like that. (laughs) Like those type of players that succeed in fantasy are complete outliers, according to this data. Now, what I did find is that players that ran from 4-4 to a 4-5-7, so using that same cutoff point, were very successful in fantasy football. And basically, when you look at that, you know, 72% of the running backs that finished as a top 24 running back ran a 40-yard dash in that time frame. So 4-4 to 4-5-7. And to me, I mean, that's gold for fantasy. Like we want these guys to be fast, but it's one data point, right? It doesn't really matter a ton when you put it in context. So I guess my take home from this research was that we want our players that are playing running back to be fast enough, but it doesn't matter if they're running a 4-4-1 or a 4-5-8. It doesn't matter for fantasy football production. Do you feel like that's what the general public thinks, or is that kind of against the grain, so to speak? I think for casual, well, I got a couple layers going on in my head. One, I don't know how close of attention 
casual fantasy football players are paying attention to 40 yard dash times at the combine. So I think there's this like middle ground, like of people that might care enough to pay attention to the combine and kind of perk up when they go, Oh wow, that guy ran a four, four, five. That's pretty quick. Um, I do think that there's probably a consensus out there that would separate a four, four guy and a four, five, eight guy and think that that would be a, a shift like that that would tilt the scales more but it's interesting that it kind of doesn't it's it's nice that there is a cutoff mark that you found about a yeah. four five eight or below <clears throat> that's great if someone's coming in at a four six two yeah, might wanna yeah re- well would probably see their draft stock fall anyways if that was the case um, definitely so yeah i think that that's i think that's pretty interesting i think most people probably associate a faster 40 time to to more future success. Did you see anything about like another level, like running backs that ran a four, three, six to a four, four, 40. Was there any sort of difference in that? Is that something that you looked into at all? I did actually. And it's, it's kind of counterproductive, right? Like you think about the fastest players in football that are able to separate and, you know, win, downfield like looking at guys that break off huge runs that they can win down the field um we want those guys to be fast but i found in my research that it doesn't really correlate to success in Hmm. fantasy football when you look at players that run a sub four four which again i was i was kind of surprised but then i went back and i looked at those players and, and what was their their body type what was it like and it's these guys that are more like a justice hill that are a little skinnier guys that are you know a little bit more agile like not really built to be a full feature down back which obviously in and of itself translates to fantasy football success because of volume so i found those faster like really really speedy athletes weren't even really when they looked at the the finishes weren't even in the league like three four years later so I'm not saying it's bad to be fast, but I'm saying yeah. it may not be the right body type for today's NFL. No, I, I buy that completely. I think there is a healthy median. It's funny looking at your article, looking back to 2015, Danny Woodhead running a, a 4-3-3. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I was shocked when I saw that. Yeah, that, man, I did not know he was that quick. But I think that it makes sense. I, I get what you're saying. Um, I think it's interesting. Lev Bell, 4.6, 4, 6, yep. Um Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you need to be built enough to, you know, to withstand the workload um, and quick enough to do something with it. So there is kind of this sweet spot for running backs. Yeah, for sure. It was uh, fun research, interesting research. I am, of course, a huge nerd uh, when it comes to this <laughs> stuff. So it was fun to go back and, and look at that. Go ahead and check that out uh, on the website. Check out John's work on the website, of course. That's at redshirtsfantasyfootball.com. John, anything else for the people before we show, close out tonight's show? Uh, yeah, Jonathan Taylor is going to be um, almost 230 pounds and run close to a 4440 and might be one of the fastest running backs in the class. So. He's going to break the internet when that happens, and, and I'll probably be standing in my living room cheering. So, <laughs> I think we can say with full confidence that will be happening for you personally uh, on that yes. day when they run. So I'll be thinking of you when Jonathan Taylor is on the TV. Uh, we'll oh, see what happens. I will be happens. on Twitter when it's happening. Don't you worry. Oh, I, I don't doubt it. And, of course, Ooh. if you want to follow John for his running back takes, for his Jonathan Taylor love, you can find him 
at JCW Helmcamp. I am at the Fantasy PT. Okada is at Matt Okada, and the show is at Richards FF Pod. Follow us there for more fantasy football goodness. Head on over to the site, check out the, the articles that are up there, and check out Patreon, patreon.com slash Richards Pod. Uh, we will have more exclusive content up there for our supporters. And we really do appreciate everyone checking that out because, um, you know, part of what we're doing is trying to build a bigger community, uh, put out a better product with better microphones, headphones. I mean, that all takes money. And so uh, your contribution doesn't go to our pocket. It literally goes back into helping put out a better product. So we genuinely do appreciate that more than you guys know. All right. Enough of the mushy stuff. Let's get out of here, John. Until next time, we are the Red Shirts. What up? Ah, no worries. Yeah, not sure what that was. It happens. I uh, I was messaging with Garrett Price. Garrett Price is all over the Keyshawn Vaughn love as well. He's got Vaughn as his RB4 right now. He is in high. So... He and I were messaging a little bit, and I was going through the rankings. And um, as I was actually putting together a, an actual grade um, for Vaughn this evening, <laughs> I was actually grading him um, a point higher than J.K. Dobbins right now. But I didn't do that in this show. <laughs> so <laughs> I was, yeah, I was sitting there, and I'm like, oh man, I need to, I need to do more. Vaughn, Akers, and Dobbins. I need to take that little tier and dive deeper and solidify my my ideas on that. Yeah, it's gonna oh man, this is gonna be so interesting. I mean it all changes with the draft. Like if if Vaughn's Oh yeah, for sure. If Vaughn's the second running back off the board, all of a sudden, you know, it's just like, whoa, where'd he come from? And suddenly he's going to be at the top end of, you know, rookie drafts. But it'll be, it'll be curious. Seattle, you know, does something stupid like take another Rashad Penny before Nick Chubb, then uh, I'll be a little bitter. Yeah, far and away. I don't. I don't know why you take a smaller running back out of San Diego State instead of a powerhouse like Chubb. It makes no sense. Oh yeah, right. It's it's fascinating. I don't know how you can yeah, literally spend 
you know, 16 hours a day getting paid to do this. And then, you know, you just see these picks two years later, three years later. I mean, yeah. I mean, the the most recent obvious one is Trubisky over uh, Deshaun Watson. Like, how? How does that happen? So, this microphone, I am pissed off not at the microphone, but at my setup in general, that it was not wanting to work. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to text him and just see if he's got any idea. Otherwise, I'm just going to have to do a crap ton of troubleshooting online. Oh, I forgot to stop 